We are learning. We are learning Sikh Aleph, Parshas Truma, Chelek Chaf Aleph. We are learning this morning, Le'ilu Nishmas Chana Bas Ephraim, Her Neshama Shahavan Aliyah. And we're asking for a Fua Shalema for Harav Yosef Yitzhak Ben Sima Chasya. Aleph. Kvar Nisbar Kama Vachama Poamim. Rebbe says, it's already been explained numerous times. Benegea Lashemus Aparshius, pursuant to the names of each Parsha, Sha'afal Pisha Bapashtus Shma shall call Parsha Hual Shem Haskalasa, that although it would seem, simply speaking, that the name of each Parsha is based on the beginning of the Parsha. But the Rebbe says, but he named Ma'achashem Minag Yisrael Hu L'chanoisan B'Shemus Elu. But once we realize that this is the Minag Yisrael, this is the custom of Jews to name the Parshas in this particular way, U'Minag Yisrael Terahi, and we are taught that a Minag is Terah, U'Betayra Kol Hanyanim Heim B'Taklis Hadiyuk, and within Terah, Everything is exquisitely specific. Hare muvan sheshma shel kol parsha parsha mivate es hatochen hamiyuchad shel parsha zu. Then it's under once you emerge from that point of departure, that everything is extremely specific and nothing is just perchance. So we understand that the name of each parsha expresses the specific content of that Parsha. And it's not just that we conveniently just cherry pick one of the first words of the Parsha, but that there's something much more profound happening there. And is understood also from the terror of the Baal Shem Tov. In general, for the Baal Shem Tov taught us about everything in the world. So the Rebbe is saying how much more so when it comes to the name of a parsha. Baal Shem Tov taught that the name that is given to something in Lashon HaKadosh, in the Holy Tongue, is actually its vivifying force and once you understand that, you understand that the name alludes to the content of, of, of what you're talking about, that it's not arbitrary. In every other language, names are arbitrary. So right now, we're, I'm assuming, all of us sitting on chairs, but they could easily have been called tangerines, and there'd be no violence done to the, to the concept of a, of a chair. At some arbitrary time by some arbitrary people, it's called a chair. But the Baal Shem Tov taught that the name in Lashon HaKadosh actually encapsulates the essence of whatever it is that you're talking about. The Indian there, and this idea, Shashem HaParsha, that the name of the Parsha is not just an arbitrary designation. So this thesis, this idea, this theory is proven from the name of our Parsha Truma. If you want to say that the name of each Parsha is simply 
one of the words at the very beginning of the parsha. In the in the brackets, the Rebbe says, but because the name has to delineate this parsha and distinguish it from another, therefore, very very often, even most often the name of the Parsha is not going to be the first or the second word mamish of the Parsha. Why? Because the very first words of the Parsha might be the same in more than one Parsha. Uladugma, for example, the Rabbi says, Eilatayilis. Eilatayilis appears in more than one Parsha at the very beginning. Or Vayayim Hashem, or Hashem said, and so on and so forth. Meaning, that it's not you you might think that it's still kind of arbitrary but you don't take the very first second third word because it's not enough of a distinguishing marker so therefore the rebbe says according to this theory and therefore because you you need to distinguish one from the other and you're looking for something distinct therefore you have to cite a different word, which is pretty close to the beginning of the parsha, but not the first words. And by doing that, you'll be able to distinguish between this parsha and other parshas. But the Rebbe says, if this is your working theory, but in accordance with this, way of thinking, this parsha should not have been called truma, it should have been called v'yikhu, and you should take. Teva haksuva lefana, the word v'yikhu is written before the word truma, and it's closer to the beginning of the parsha. Umizem muvan, and from this is understood, shahatam shaparsha nekres b'shem truma, that the reason that the parsha is called truma is not only to distinguish this parsha and to differentiate between this parsha and the other parshas, but rather because this name, in our case, Truma, expresses the content of the parsha. It encapsulates the general theme of this parsha and the way in which it's different from all other parshas. And we have to understand. So the Rebbe says, okay, now that's what you're saying. We have a problem. In addition to the fact, that the word truma does not, in fact, express, it would seem, seemingly, the content of the parsha. The Rebbe says, like, I'm going to unpack in the next sif. But even more so, the idea of a truma, of, a, of an offering to Hashem, is not novel to this parsha, specifically. Because there are many different types 
of things that are set apart for Hashem. Like the Gemara taught, there are 10 trumas, there are 10 things that are set apart. And in our parsha, only one type of truma is mentioned. That which the Jews had to set apart from their assets for the construction of the Mishkan. And in, in parentheses, the Rebbe says, and even if in accordance with what our Chazal taught in the Gemara and Rashi cites it, that there were actually three trumas that are mentioned here, but still, it's Gimel, it's three out of ten. Ubefrat she trumastam, he had truma hanisenes lekayin. And specifically because when you use the word truma, the first place that your mind goes is to the truma, that particular offering that would be given to the kayin. Ve'im kainin, if so, ech efshar loimar she hashem truma noise b'tayichai es teichna ha-meyucha shel kol parshazu. And so once you understand that there are seven other trumas, at least, that are mentioned elsewhere in the Torah, so the preponderance of truma are not mentioned in this parsha. And the term truma in general makes your mind go to what was given to the Koyen, not what was given from your gold and silver to build a Mishkan. So how is it possible to say that the word truma actually encapsulates the very unique content of our parsha. Bisha she'inin ha'truma truma stam nadun beparshas acher shebetera biyesarichas ma'ashat truma samishkam parshas truma, and specifically because the Indian, the the general concept of truma is dealt with in other parshas and is dealt with at greater length than. Truma is dealt with in our parsha. Base, the oid, and on top of that, the pashtos. Simply speaking, hatoichen hamiyuchat beparsha zuhu hatziboi al meleches asias ubinyan hamishkan. It would seem, very simply speaking, that the distinguishing factor of the content in our parsha is the commandment to create, to fashion, to make, to build the Mishkan. Seemingly, and seemingly it seems that this idea of fashioning or making the Mishkan is not found included in the word, in the term truma. Truma seems the term truma seems to speak and teach rather about the separation of and the donation of assets on the part of B'nai Yisrael for the purpose of building the Mishkan. But it doesn't seem to be speaking about constructing the Mishkan. The famous words, V'asuli Mikdash, Rim Kain, and so how is it possible to, to opine, to, to state a theory that the construction of the Mishkan is found, is encapsulated in the word truma? 
And the question is actually even greater than this. Seemingly, now the Chav is asking a question, not only on the name, but on the order of the Psukim in our Parsha. It would seem that the Parsha should first have, it should have led with the words of Asuli Mikdash, and you shall construct for me a Mishkan, you should make for me a Mikdash. Asher hu because these words are, in fact, it would seem, the basis and the preface to all of the other commandments in the parsha. Inclusive also of the command to take truma from Bnei Yisrael. Because it's only by collecting these materials that you can fulfill the commandment of building the mikdash v'im came and so if this is if if this is the way it should have been if we understand it so it should have first said hashem spoke to Moshe, tell bnei yisrael v'asuli mikdash they should make me a mikdash and only after you present the central commandment of the whole parsha, then should have been written the commandments that delineate how you fulfill this commandment, practically speaking. And one of those would have been, you should take for me an offering, that will be donated to the Mishkan. And that would have been followed with the details about how you built a Mishkan. But from the fact that the Psukim lead in the way that they do, that first it says, you shall take from me an offering. And only this prefaces, and only afterwards, as a saying, you shall make for me a, a holy home. So from this, we understand the opposite. That indeed, and in fact, the term truma, that the word truma, and specifically truma, that the, that puzzle, they shall take from me an offering, expresses the central theme of the Mishkan more than the words of Asuli Mikdash. Via Seramizu, and even more, Lechaira, seemingly, Inyan Hamishkan, who have a Truma. It would seem that the idea of the Mishkan is opposite the idea of Truma. How so? Inyanoi shall Hamishkan, who Kishmoyal Shem Beshechanti Besaycham. The name Mishkan, which literally means the dwelling or the resting place is called, we, we call it that way because it's etymologically rooted in the word Rishachanti Besoicham, I will rest amongst you. Hainu meaning, The word Mishkan seems to connote not what the Jews will do, but rather what Hashem will do. 
Hashem says, I will rest amongst you. The whole man shadayin loy niskayin b'mishkan v'shachanti. The hashchina dayin in a nikra mishkan l'mitasay. And for as long as there is no v'shachanti, meaning that the shechina has not yet rested, going back to the parentheses, even though the whole structure is complete, but if Hashem's shechina is not resting there, it's not called a mishkan. So truma speaks to what the Jews are doing. Mishkan speaks to what Hashem is doing. So seemingly, again, calling the Parsha Truma, which the Rebbe says it must be called this, because the Torah leads with Ve'ichuli Truma. So somehow Truma is even more important than Mishkan. But the difficulty is that it seems to be antithetical ideas. They seem to be opposite ideas. And the resting of Hashem's presence in the Mishkan can only be effectuated through the will and the Kayach of the all powerful. And Hashlema Melech said, in Melachim, we learn the Shlomo Melech said that the heavens and the heavens' heavens, meaning the highest supernal realms, are unable to contain you. Only this home can contain you. This is an ongoing wonder. We grapple with this. That the infinite Shechina of Hashem, Asher Hashemayim Ushmei Hashemayim Koylel Olam Yisrael Yanim Lo Yichal Kalucha Nimsheches V'Shayra V'Shaychenes B'Vayezeh. That all of the heavenly realms, including the highest heavenly realms, cannot contain Hashem, but Hashem will be able to rest in this house. Shebazem Mudgash. So in Shlomo HaMelech's um, expression and, and, and question, it's underscored. Shahadavar Yachaliyas Nifal, Rak Mitzat Kaychayis Barachabilti Mukbo. That such a thing can only happen through the infinite, unending Kayach of the one who is infinite. And of course, this could never occur through the agency of, of, of a human being down here below. So that's about the term Mishkan. Masha Enkein, a contradistinction, the, the definition and the content of the term Truma Asher Adraba, on the contrary, Madgisha, Loyas Ashraz, Vamshachas Elokuz, Bamikrashabam, Mitzad Lamaila, it doesn't speak to and it doesn't underscore the resting of Hashem's presence in the Mishkan that comes from above. 
Ella es asias ha but rather it speaks to man's overture, the yeser al and even more than just pointing out that this speaks to man's overture as opposed to what Hashem does, betevas truma loy mikdash, but by by citing, by, by highlighting the word truma and not mikdash, ena mirumezes afilu kabbalas hatruma al yedea kadesh baruch It doesn't even allude to the way in which Hashem accepts this truma and the way in which this offering becomes Hashem's. Elarak hafrashas ha'adam levat. It highlights and focuses on the way in which a person separates something that belongs to him. That's what the focus is on. So the Rebbe is saying, on one hand, the word truma, because the pasovichali truma comes before va'asuli mikdash. So it seems that we have to understand from this that truma in some way encapsulates the content of this parsha in a way that Va'asuli Mikdash doesn't at all. That's on one hand. But on the other hand, the term truma seems to be focused directly on what a person is doing. But the whole idea of the Mishkan, which seemingly that's the whole idea of this parsha, is actually about the impossible for us to understand concept that the infinite creator of all that cannot be contained by the entire universe and all of the supernal realms should somehow be able to rest in this house. So it speaks to Hashem's overture, distinctly and uniquely so. And so again, what does the word truma teach us here? How is this the distinguishing factor of this week's parsha, Gimel. Be'yuvam bahakdim she'ela klolas be'inyan. And we'll understand this by prefacing with a general question concerning this idea. L'shema misaperes hater ba'arichas hachig doyla al dvar trumas hamishkan asiyas karshi hamishkan ha'irias b'chuleh. This was the question that plagued me in fourth and fifth grade. Why does the Torah relate in such excruciating detail about every, all the materials that had to be given and making all the aspects of the mishkan, the boards and the curtains, etc.? Those were very difficult psukim and rashis to go through. I'm, I'm, I'm still traumatized. Val derech she'elas chazal, and like the chazal asked, "My dehavahava, whatever happened, happened. It happened. Okay, the mishkan was mishkan was built. It happened. Halay b'tayra atzma nemar shahamishkan hua roi, and the the tayra itself tells us that the mishkan was built for a temporary time. It was transient. And I will walk with you in the tent and in the mishkan. Both transient. 
And this was a commandment for a very particular time. Like the Torah itself says, that this was necessary because you did not come until this time to your inheritance and to the place that you will rest in. And now compare and contrast this with the commandments that would be for all time regarding the Beis HaMikdash, the Batim Mikdash in Yerushalayim. That is referred to as Beis Olamim, an everlasting home. The Imkain, and if so, So once we understand that the Mishkan is in a sense a placeholder, it's just to fill a gap. Why is it so necessary and why is it so relevant to delineate all of the details of the Mishkan so that B'nai Yisrael should learn this at all times in all places, even after the Mishkan was hidden away, and in its place, the Beis HaMikdash was built. So why so much emphasis? It's one thing when you're talking about the story and the laws regarding the building of the Bate Mikdash. Although they too were destroyed, but we still need to be very attentive to these laws and we need to keep learning them and relearning them because we need to know this pursuant to the Mikdash that will be built speedily in our days in the future. Because in the main, for the most part, the way in which the Bayish Lishi will be built is based on the way the first Bate Mikdash were built. Okay, it's one thing about the Bate Mikdash. But why do we need to know all the details? about the truma and the construction of the Mishkan. Yisera even more so. Rebbe says when it comes to the Bate Mikdash, it's not only that we learn this as a preparation for the building in the future, maybe now. Because when it will be built in the future, we have to base it on what was built in the past. But the Rebbe says it's more. There's another reason. But we're taught, and the Rambam brings this down, that when we read about it and when we learn about the, the details of the structure, when we learn about the architectural details, then Hashem says, I reckoned it upon you as if you're actually building the, the bias. 
or Kabir Chazal, and like Chazal explained, and the Chazal taught that through learning constantly the details of the Beis Hamikdash, how it was constructed, we effectuate that the the house of Hashem should not be abnegated. It should it should not in 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 a in a spiritual sense, in, and that means in the most profound sense, it's not destroyed. But what are we speaking about? But all of these very special teachings about what is accomplished through learning the details is regarding the base Hamikdash. Because it's a mitzvah for every generation to build a base Hamikdash. It's only that practically speaking, we can't unfortunately build it, but the but the mitzvah belongs to us. But a contradistinction, the whole commandment to build a mishkan was only for that particular generation. So now the Rebbe is deepening the question, right? We started with a question about trying to understand the tr- how our parsha is called truma. Then the Rebbe deepened that by saying, and why is that pasuk even before the word va'asuli mikdash? Especially because truma seems to be the opposite of mishkan. Truma seems to underscore human overture. Mishkan is about what Hashem does because only Hashem can turn a structure, no matter how beautiful it is, no matter what it's made of, into a place where Hashem's presence can rest. But now the Rebbe says, in order to understand this, in order to answer the question, we first have to ask a more general question. We have to step back and ask, what are we obsessing over the Mishkan for to begin with? It's one thing if you're talking about the Beis Hamikdash, that is a commandment for every generation. But the Mishkan was just something temporary. It would seem built as a stopgap measure until Bnei Yisrael can go into Eretz Yisrael. And there they'll build the everlasting edifice. Dalit. The Chayra Haya Efshalatare. So the Rebbe says, seemingly, we might be able to answer this question. Based on what has been discussed elsewhere at great length. Shahatsivoy, that the command, you shall make for me a a uh, a holy structure, and I will rest within it, within them. Like Rashi, famous, I, like we learned famously that because it should have said So Rebbe says that we've discussed elsewhere that that although these words were said specifically about building the Mishkan. But actually, these words are a more general commandment for all generations to build a house for Hashem. That these words, although said about the Mishkan, are really a commandment regarding all of the Bate Mikdash, inclusive of the third base Hamikdash. 
meaning shatsivoy al kol bote mikdashes nilmat miratsivoy al binin hamishkan. So what this means is that we learn about building all the other holy structures for Hashem from the building of the Mishkan. And even more. Although the architectural structure of the of the Beis Hamikdash and the details of its length and width were very different than the Mishkan. But the main aspects of those Batei Mikdash were built on the same model of what was in the Mishkan. Like the Rambam explained. And in like fashion, we learn from the commandment that the Jews had to give a truma, that they had to donate to the Mishkan, we learn the same regarding the Batei Mikdash. And in the words of the Rambam, Asher hakol chayavin livnois ulisaid ba'atzman u'bemaynam anashim v'nashim. That all Jews have to build and support the construction of the Batei Mikdash by themselves with their own money, both men and women. Ulefizem mubarn. And so it's understood. So we understand that learning, reading this parsha, learning about the construction of the Mishkan is relevant to the Batei Mikdash and helps us in building it properly. And even more, we might say, at least on the innermost level, we might say that 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 while practically things unfurled in this way, that first there was a Mishkan, which was for a transient moment, it was for that time where the Jews had not yet come to Israel, to rest in their place of inheritance. And only after that were built the Bate Mikdash that were eternal. The Rebbe says, that it's because this is the order in which this mitzvah should be done. Min hakal el Literally, this means from the light to the heavy, meaning you start with um, something less important and go to more important, or you go from something easier to something more difficult. Betchila mishkan, oyel aroi. You begin with the mishkan, which is a temporary attempt, and not with something that is in a particular place. It's almost like you build a model just to make sure you know what you're doing. And that's a temporary model. And then you come from that to build a house 
that is solidified in a particular place and is eternal. Base It's the eternal house for Hashem in Yerushalayim. And this is learned also and, and is relevant to learning and reading about the actual structure. In order to effectuate completely this idea that when you learn, it's as if you're actually building it. So just like we said earlier, that regarding the base Hamikdash, it says that if you're learning about it, it's as if you're building it. So the Rebbe is saying, we might say that in order to fulfill that instruction that when you're learning about it as if you built it you first have to learn about the construction of the mishkan it's not enough to just learn about the construction of the base of mikdash you have to learn about the construction of the mishkan inclusive of even the details of the mishkan that were not replicated in the bati mikdash and only afterwards nitan yia and only in this way, by starting first with learning all the details of the Mishkan, can you fulfill this idea that when you learn, Hashem says, I will reckon it, I, it will compute before me as if you actually built the Mishkan, the Mikdash. But the Rebbe says, maspik. The word says missing. But this explanation is not enough. The Rebbe says this does not satisfy the question we asked as to why is it necessary to learn all the details of the Mishkan. Because the Torah is eternal. But to say that the Mishkan was some kind of a placeholder, a stopgap measure, no. The Torah is eternal. That means that every aspect thereof is eternal. So if there was a time and there was a situation in which the Mishkan stood and there was a commandment that you should make the Mishkan? Sarach Leimar, we have to say, Shagam Inyan Zen Then we have to say that this too is eternal. It's not just a prelude. It's not just a segue. It's not just leading us into what is important. No, this in itself is important and eternal. And that there is a spiritual parallel to this situation. That we have lessons to learn from the existence of the Mishkan, from the building of the Mishkan, as it is unto itself and not 
as a preface, as a preparation for building the Mishkan. And if you look at footnote 43, in that Ha'ar, the Rebbe says, Ubefrat, and especially, Shagam Kipshutai, that also, um, simply speaking, physically, Hamishkan Hu Nitzri, the Mishkan is actually eternal. And it was not destroyed like the Bate Mikdash were, it was just hidden away. The Yaseira Mizu, and even more so, Amar Azal, our rabbis taught, and the rabbi says, we're in the Gemara, our sages taught, and the words, and the acacia tree stood, that they stand forever and ever, that they will return. So then there must be lessons that we learn from the Mishkan that are not just a preparation for the Mikdash. And so we're back to asking our question. And our question again was, why does the Torah tell us in such excruciating detail about the Mishkan? So first we thought the Rebbe said, maybe you could say it's because we have a mitzvah to learn all the details about building a base Hamikdash. And that when we learn these details, it's as if we're constructing it actually. And in order to fulfill this dictum, that by learning it is as if you're fulfilling it, you first have to learn all the details of the Mishkan also. That's part of how you fulfill this idea of building the base Hamikdash, which is a tzivu lidairis, which is a commandment that every Jew has forever and ever. But the Rebbe says, not accepting this. Because the Mishkan is not just an appendage. It's not just, okay, the Jews had not yet come to Israel, so they couldn't build the base Hamikdash where it should be built. And therefore they had to build a Mishkan. No, the Rebbe says. The ending of a Mishkan is eternal. Um, Rifki. Yeah. Just a quick question, and maybe there's no answer. What I'm struggling with is the Mishkan stood for at least as long as the first base on Mikdash and at least as long as the second base on Mikdash. So, you know what I mean? I mean, it's yeah, so longer, yeah, I, it was, I think it was even longer. I think this is 410 years, it's 420. I don't know the exact numbers. I think from the time the Mishkan was built until Shleiman Melech, it, it was available and they used it. So I think the Indian of Ara'i, of the temporary nature that the Rebbe is underscoring here, is not how long, but the way in which it was built. And, and, and like, you know, oh, I always, I always was, used to teach my kids like Lego, you know, so like you don't build a house out of Lego, you know, like it was not built to be. Bikvius. Right. Even if in Eretz's stroll was moved around. Even in Eretz's right. stroll, yeah. this, that, yeah. okay, okay, again, okay, thank you very much. Yeah. On the other hand, the Rebbe says, but look, look here, the Mishkan, in, in, when you compare it to the, the Bate Mikdash, the Mishkan actually is still existing. The Bate Mikdash were destroyed. 
That is true. Everything but the is Mishkan different. itself is, is just hidden. Mm -hmm. when you think, Sorry. What? When you think they had to keep moving it, I mean, some places they stood, stayed, stayed for such a short time, they had to know the details inside out. They had to do it very quickly sometimes. Yeah, that's all good and fine. But why do we have to know the details? Maybe the rebel will answer that. Sure, he will. Okay. Hey, and the explanation. When it comes to when did Hashem's Shechina come down to rest in this lower earthy realm, we find in the Midrashim, two deus, two opinions. In one place, we have the idea that Hashem Shechina came down during Matan Teira, that this was affected through Matan Teira. We have a very, very, very famous medrash that until Matan Terry, there was a gazera that what was below on the terrestrial and the earthy realm could not go above, could not go towards heaven, and the heavenly realm could not saturate the lower realm. But after Matan Terry, the lower realm can be elevated above heavenward, and heaven and the above came down to below. And the Abishah says, and I, I will initiate, I will start, like it says, first by Yerod Hashem al And then it says, and only then did, does it say that, that did Hashem say to Moshe, come up. So that's in one place. And in another place, Chazal taught, Elsewhere we learn that Hashem Shechina came down on the day that the Mishkan was erected. And the Chepa says, it's understood, although one says like this and one says like that, they're not arguing. They're both true. There's one perspective and another. The resting of the Shechina that we speak of during Matan Teira was it was from above. God says, I will begin. And because it was initiated from above, so although at the moment of this happening, because Hashem came down on the mountain, therefore Hashem's presence was felt to such an extent that anybody that, that came close to the mountain 
was incinerated. That Hashem's holiness and presence rested on the physical temporal mountain Har Sinai. But still, Mikal Makoin, but still in all, although that was true at that time, when the loud sound of the Seifer ceased, which signaled that the Shechina departed, then people could go up on the mountain. This means that Harsinai remained like it was before, pedestrian, a regular mountain. In contradistinction, Hashraz Hashchina b'Mishkan, the resting of Hashem's presence in the Mishkan, Hoysa al Yedei Mikdash, was through the agency of mankind. You shall make for me a Mikdash. Al Yedei Asiyas b'nei Yisrael, b'nei Yisrael did this. O Kemudgash because of Kan Gam Prate Hamishkan Bekelim Vaasu, Bes Hamishkan Taase. The Torah keeps underscoring humanity's overtures. They should make, they should construct, they should fashion. And because Hashem's Shechina came to rest through man's overtures, therefore the holiness remained in a in a long-standing way, not in a temporary way, and remained in the actual physical existence of the Mishkan. And it infused holiness into the Mishkan and all the aspects thereof. So you could say that when the Abish came down on the mountain, yes, momentarily for that time, the mountain itself was transformed. But it was kind of like hit and run. Whereas when B'nai Yisrael built the Mishkan with their own kaiches, with their own materials, it created a situation in which Hashem came to rest. And this time it was Bikfiot. It was in a long-standing. Um, I'm, I'm missing the word for kviyot. If somebody could help me, permanent. Permanent. Thank you. Besignan and now to say the same idea in the style of chasidus. Ubeloshen now, as chasidus explains the terminology of the Medrash we just referenced. The resting of the Shechina that happened during Matantera was precipitated by that which is above. Hashem initiated like it says by Yerod Hashem al Hashem came down to Harsinai. 
ומאחר שהמחובם בהליינים ירדו לתחתנים, הוא שהתחתנים יעלו להליינים, שהעולם יהיה לדיר לא יסברך. And because the intention of Hashem coming down, of the upper strata coming down to the lower strata, is only for the purpose of that the lower strata should be elevated to above, that this world should become a dwelling place, a home for Hashem. And now the Rebbe says, and because Ulamayla, and above, when you speak about Hashem, hare ein koyach chaser poyam. By Hashem, it's not like by us that there's potential and there's actuality. By Hashem, ein koyach chaser poyam. The potential itself is not missing, meaning there's no difference between potential and actuality. It's all already encapsulating the potential. So if that's Hashem's intention, then that, that already happens. So So therefore, when, when, when Hashem came down, the world itself became a dira for Hashem. Therefore, we found And therefore, we find that the sound of the Aseris Hadibras was surround sound. It came from all four, um, all four directions. It came from heaven. It came from earth. Hainu Shemitzias Ha'olam, the very existence of the world, Tsa'aka, screamed godliness, V'hechriza, and announced, Al-Inyan Anoichi Hashem Elekecha. So what's the difference between that and Ba'asuli Mikdash? If when we talk about Hashem ain Payel, if by Hashem there's no difference between potential and action, and the whole reason that Hashem came down was that this world should become dear Lais Barach, so then what was added by making the Mishkan? But the fulfillment of Hashem's intention, that this lower strata should be a dwelling place for Hashem, but the fulfillment of Hashem's intention is not that this should come about through His overtures not through his potential that is already not missing actuality. Why? Because then what have we contributed? Where is our contribution? What the Ebersha wants is a siyas hatachtain. The Ebersha wants the making of the lower place, but what is constructed in the lower strata should be constructed by the lower strata. That the Abish should make this into a dear is not a, it's not a, it's not a chachma. 
and it's not what the Abishra desired. But that we of the lower realm should transform the lower realm. That the Abishra wanted. So this is the novelty. And this is the additional factor of the Mishkan over Matan that the drawing down of Hashem's presence among us should come through our Avedah. You shall make for me a Mikdash. And once we understand what the Abishter wanted, now we're in a position to understand we understand the reason now we're in a position to understand why the order of the psukim and our parsha appear as they do first you shall take from me an offering because this concept this concept that the shechina comes down only through the Aveda of B'nai Yisrael This actually comes to full expression Dafka through the idea of Truma. And now the Rebbe is going to explain Truma. B'truma Shnei Pirushim In the term Truma there are two there are two things we have to understand. There are two definitions. Aleph, Perish, Rashi, like Rashi explains, hafrasha. The term truma means to separate, to take something from a larger thing and to separate a portion from a larger, a larger uh, mass. And then truma also connotes harama, elevation, like raimimu Hashem. Ubeis pirushim elu, and both of these explanations, hakshurim zebazel, which are intertwined, which are connected, ein in yanam brak hesber shaharama mina elam vinyanam zava chesav gemil alakus nefelus alidei avedas adam. It's not just explaining that apportioning, separating, elevating something from this world, whether it's gold or silver, to godliness is done through a person's overture. It doesn't just generally speak to the notion of a person's actions and a person's efforts, but it speaks to the very specific way in which we elevate something to Hashem. Teva's truma, the term, the word truma, Hafrasha to separate to a portion. Madgisha underscores Sha'in Haadam Noisain Kol Ma Shatachas Yadai Elohu Mafrish Khelek Minichasaf. The first thing it teaches us is that by definition the word truma is about separating a part rather than taking everything you have. So Rebbe says, first of all, you're separating apart. And then you take what you separated 
and you pick it up, you elevate it. You put at elevation. You give it to God. So we're, we're, we can all really immediately embrace this idea that uh, when you start, when you decide you want to do something, baby steps. And in this itself, we can now understand the difference between the two ways that the Medrash says came down. Matantaira versus the building of the Mishkan. When it's from the top down, when you're talking about bringing down the Shechina from above, like during Matan Torah, then it comes down in a way that equally pervades and saturates all the aspects of the world. Masha Inkin, a contradistinction, but when the resting of Hashem Shechina is effectuated through the work that is done below, through the building of the Mishkan, then there is variation, there's gradation, there's a difference because it has to do with how much your heart, each person's heart will donate. And people are not the same. Everybody will give in a different way, in a different amount. And so when it's from the bottom up, it's going to unfurl um, in, in, in various ways. And it's going to go from what's easier to what's more difficult. Why? Because it's meduba betachtainim she'enam betelim le'lakus. Because you're talking about the lower strata. And the lower strata does not, at least in an obvious manifest way, abnegate itself to godliness. We're going to go back to the parentheses. And so in this trajectory of a person's overture, a person separates a part of what belongs to them in this world and elevates it and, and to Hashem. Now go back to the parentheses. And the Rebbe cites the very well-known teaching, the very well-known clause, tafasta meruba le tafasta. When you try to grab too much, we've all been there, we've all done that, we've taken too much cutlery to go set the table at one time, too many plates out of the cupboard, etc., etc. Too many carrots, it, it just falls. It's not worth it. Tafasta meruba loy tafasta. So the Rebbe says, so when when the hashra hashchina comes from the bottom up, when it comes through the overture of humanity, it's going to be little by little. And then hopefully we're consistent and we go up higher and higher. And we separate and we elevate additional things. 
And these things are more difficult for us to elevate, and they're more heavy. Until we come to a place to our Abayda that the whole world becomes a dear And the distinction that cited above, it's not just in the order of how this is done, minakal, elakaved, etc. But the difference between the Hashras Hashkina coming from Hashem's overture as opposed to ours also expresses itself in the eventual abnegation of the physical that is affected through Hashem's Shechina resting. When it's precipitated from above, then it affects an absolute abnegation of the existence of the world. Because the untrammeled revelation of the Shechina does not give space, it doesn't give place for things that are not godly. Wow. It just hit me that the very um, contemporary term to hold space is, is actually, look, doesn't give place, doesn't give space. I don't know, I never, I never realized that. Like Chazal teach us regarding Matan Torah, a bird didn't chirp, an ox didn't bellow. The entire world was subsumed in Elokos. But when you're talking about Hashem's resting through a person's overtures, and especially at the beginning, at the beginning of building the Mishkan, who inin shall have bilvad, you're talking about taking off a portion. A person takes off a portion and raises it and gives it over to Hashem. But this is not in a way where that person is completely abnegated. It doesn't obviate their existence. Because a person can never obviate his existence completely. It's just not in our toolbox. It's not in our wheelhouse. We can't do that. We cannot self-abnegate completely. More generally, the Rebbe says, with the giving of the Torah, there was the abnegation of the Tachtain, of the lower strata. 
in the construction of the Mishkan, there was his dachachos hatachtain. There was the refinement of the lower strata. Let's just review that again. You see how the words matan and asiyas are, are um, underscored? Matan means the giving. It's an overlay from above. So when you superimpose something from above, then you abnegate the below. But asiyas, when you construct it painstakingly, little by little by little, then you refine it. So to take a very, there must be better, much, much better examples, but let's say when you're trying to teach a child something, yeah, you, you could tell them what the answer is to, to the mathematical problem that they have. But, but really you're, you're shutting down their effort. So it's, it's like matantaira, but it's, it's, it's the abnegation of their effort. But, but the asiya is to sit with them and work it through. And, and it's going to be messy and there's going to be mistakes, but it's going to refine them. It's, 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 going to, it's going to stick with them. It's going to elevate them. They learned something. Rifki, can I say yeah. a word? Sure, please, please. I'm so emotional. The sicha, it's unbelievable. It's such a remarkable sicha. It's telling us that everything that we give, and you know what they gave were things of Avedis that were used for Avedis. It was things that were used for, I mean, this was from Mitzrayim. And it was melted down. But nevertheless, all the donations, a lot of them came from Shmutz. And when it's so remarkable, I, I wonder all the things we give in our life and then we go back and we think we didn't do it right or we did do it right. No, this is, I don't know, this is the sicha. Everything you give, maybe at some point as a teenager, you didn't elevate it to, and you have guilt that you only did it 20%. And it, you understand what I'm saying? This is a sicha talking to everything that we have given in life with schmutz and everything else. And sometimes we live with such guilt. We weren't the best mothers. We didn't do this. We didn't do that. But this is all there. This is v'shachanti b'saychum. It would be fascinating to know what every donation stands for and how it was elevated by donating it to the... I wonder if there's any, anything on that. But think about it. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. This is a remarkable thing. We, if we could focus on every gift that we gave, unless instead of every thing we did wrong with the gift that we gave, the guilt of mothering, the guilt of relationship, the guilt of, if we could just look at it as a donation and over time it gets elevated. And when we look back and say, we need to do this better, there is another elevation Maybe we would look at our lives with Sameach uh, B'chalkai. Just a thought. It's a remarkable thought, Esther. Crazy. Thank you for elevating the whole thing for us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's really, really incredible what you said, but I have another question. How does what we're learning here fit in with the model of Mesiris Nefesh, which would be the opposite, really? of giving a little bit. 
I don't think it's saying, I don't think they're mutually exclusive because when the Rebbe says that when it's an overture from below, it's incremental, even in it being incremental, it could still be with a lot of Messias and Nefesh. It could be that whatever you give is, is so, so hard for you and you give away more than you can. But it's still Kozman that it's human. It's still going to be incremental. But there are times when you're asked to give a lot, not start with a little. But it's still in all not matantair. It's still not like, like something that is so um, overwhelming that, that, that it abnegates you completely. Maybe that's not what that ever also, maybe trauma is not about the ask. It, it doesn't, it, one doesn't negate the other. One, it's not a contradiction, but maybe the focus here is on the element of living with what we have. Messeris Nefesh, we should feel like it, but to live a life of constantly living in Messeris Nefesh, either you have to be a tzaddik or you live in, it's traumatic. It's trauma. Mr. Snefish is trauma. You have to be willing to give. But to live a life of Mr. Snefish, outside the Gomer, I understand, but everybody else who has a Yetzirah, that's, that's trauma. Well, you have to want it. That's what the Tanya says. You have to want it. You have to be willing. But I think what trauma is telling us, how do you live? How do you live in a positive and... How do you create a positive environment of Bishahanti Bisaikam? And yet we we are with our Yetzahara. You give a little bit, you give as much as you can, you give even more. The women gave more than the men. The women, I mean, they gave first, whatever you want to, however they gave it. But you give, you give. What you have left, wonderful. You still have a Yetzahara, but give the little bit, the much. In the end, it's collective. And that is the total picture of the serious nefesh in life. You understand what I'm... Anyway, no, whatever. I guess oh, I'm a little... Oh, I, just to comment a on the <laughs> I just wanted to comment on one word you said that, that will be Samech Bechalkai. Uh, so I think the Rebbe would say in those words, Samech Bechalkai, that because we would be besimcha with what we gave, mm-hmm. it would prompt us and give us the kaiches to do what you just said now, to give more. There you go, right. Not not like in the gosh mystica sense of whatever you have you're you're happy with, but but it's the like like you so brilliantly said, it's the it's the regret and the guilt that drags you down. And at that place, it's so hard to give. Right. You that's very that's that excellent, excellent, because you see by Hasana, the joy is so great that you just give without thinking, you spend without treasure. You're right. You're the excellent point, Rifki. Excellent point. Yeah. Zion. And that is the reason that the Pasuk enumerates all 13 or 15, depending on the Shita, of the different materials that were necessary for the construction of the Mishkan. Kol 
Esther hinted at this earlier, she said it would be fascinating to know what each material actually stood for. The Rebbe says, because in the Aveda of each person, to make from the, the aspects of this world into Adira, each aspect of this world has a particular way in which this has to be done, particular way in which it's elevated. Now the Rebbe is delineating that there are actually two aspects in Truma. You have to separate it, and then you have to elevate it. The Rebbe says, now we circle back to answer the question of why the Torah begins with the idea of Truma before the Torah says the words, make me for me a Mikdash. And that's why the name of the Parsha is Truma. Because the main concept, the main novelty in our Parsha is the goal of Dir Betachtoinim, which is the Rebbe has taught us in this whole Sikha is effectuated through the Avoida of humankind. Shesidra minakal elakovit, and the order is from the light again to the heavy. Hafrasha utrumatchila. First, you have to separate it. Then you have to elevate it. mekadesh, and only then does it become sanctified. It seems that each one of these levels is avoda b'fnei atzma. It's it's a so just to separate it, even if you're not elevating it yet and you haven't sanctified yet, just to separate an aspect is already difficult. And it's only through this that Hashem's kavana for the creation of this universe is fulfilled. And this is the Indian of Truma, Dahainu meaning Hashras, Hashchina, Alide Hafrasha, the Adam, Ba'ifan Hanal, that the Shechina comes down to rest through our separating. This is after Shechina came down through Matantaira, where Hashem initiated, but this is Mitzada Voidas Ha'adam. But now this coming down of the Shekhinah is through the agency of man's work and toil. And it's only through this, and the Rebbe Mitzatat in, in, in uh, footnote 74, famous Maimarim, that it's only through this that the Iker, the main Shekhinah comes down. And through this is understood, and now we can appreciate why the name of the parsha is Truma. Ki hashlemus vahamayla shall call eser hatrumas, because the completion and the superlative attribute of all the ten trumas in the Torah, he beinian hatruma kafisha hubali debitri beparsha senu, is actually encapsulated in the idea of the offering the truma that comes to expression in our parsha, Bitruma hafrasha vaharama, the separating and the elevation, zu, sheba nasa mishkan, through which was made the mishkan, 
with through which through which came the resting of the Shechina dafka through human overture. And now we can explain another thing. Now we're in a position to understand why the building of the Mishkan and the construction of the Mishkan for itself, not as a preparation, not as a placeholder, not as a segue into building the base Hamikdash, who in Yanitzchi. The building of the Mishkan itself is an everlasting, eternal thing. Because it's part of Torah, and the Torah itself is eternal. Now, now something Mechadik is coming. Mechadik alert. Coming up. Tam Hadavar. The reason. Sha'az Hutchal Inin Hatruma. Avoidus Hamata. The reason that it was with the building of the Mishkan that the Indian of truma, of separating and elevating the work from below, started. The Rebbe says, it didn't start only because Matan had come and gone. And after the 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 blowing of the shayf, the sound of the shayfer had ceased, which was a simon that the shechina had gone up, and so you weren't able to feel the shechinoi the shechina in a manifest way. So then there had to be a house for Hashem. There had to be step two, and they weren't yet in Eretz Yisrael, so they built a mishkan. Chaver says, no, 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 that's not what's going on here. The reason why the whole idea of the fulfillment of the kavana of Hashem is with the Mishkan is It's because this was in a desert. Midbar beruchni is humakayim umatzav ashalayashav adam ha'elyon shalakisei sham. Rebbe says that alpi chasidus. The idea of a midbar is a place and a situation in which the supernal man, one of the names that, that, that Hashem is referenced by is Adam Elyon. So it's a place where Adam Elyon doesn't sit, as it were. Hainu meaning, she'inidi yashav, what does the term to sit mean? Spiritually means gilui elekus. It means the revelation of godliness. And a midbar is a place that a revelation of godliness doesn't occur there. Masha Enke, in a contradistinction, ear, what does a city connote? It connotes Moshe, a place that is of habitation, a place where people not only, they settle there. So spiritually, this connotes a place where Hashem is revealed. Yashav Adam Elyon Sham. Supernal man settled there, revealed there. And generally speaking, and generally speaking, this is the difference between the Mishkan and the Bati Mikdash in Yerushalayim. The Beis Hamikdash was built after the Jews came to their 
to their rest, to their inheritance. They left the Midbar, and they came to a place that is inhabited by people. And they built the Bate Migdash in Eretz Yisrael, and where did they build it? Not just in any place that is that is habitable, but they built it in Eretz Yisrael, about which the Torah says, Tomid Hashem that Hashem's eyes are always upon Eretz Yisrael. And in Eretz Yisrael itself, where did they build it? They built it in Yerushalayim. Makam shal yiras shalim, shleimus hayira. Yerushalayim is called Yerushalayim because that is where there is complete awe and reverence of Hashem. Ubi Yerushalayim atzma, and in Yerushalayim itself, b'makam shehu shar shemayim, in the place that is the gate to heaven. Vilachain, and therefore. Inyan Hamikdash, Hadiralat's Musa, the whole idea of a Mikdash, which is a, a an apartment, a dwelling place for Hashem's essence, Hanasa Midvarim Tahtainim, that's constructed of material things from below, who Paula Sha'ina Ba Kula Mitzad Avaidasa But because it's built in Eretz Yisrael, and it's built in Yerushalayim, and in Yerushalayim it's built on Harabayas, which is Shar HaShemayim. So even though it's built below, and even though it's built of materials from below, it is not a pu'ula, it is not a project that is done entirely on the part of human beings. Elagam mitzad asher efchar. But it is because Hashem chose that place. It's mitzad habchira v'hakdusha elakis hashayabai v'aisa aisa muhsha yaisa liyais klilalakos. It's because that Hashem chose it, and by choosing it, Hashem vested it with holiness, a godliness that rests there, and makes it an appropriate or more appropriate place to be a conduit, a vessel for godliness. So no matter what human overture that was involved, in the main, its holiness is still predicated on, on, on Hashem's Bechira, on the fact that Hashem chose it, and therefore it became infinitely holy. Masha Enkein, in contradistinction, Hamidbar Eina Meshav Adam. The Midbar is a place that is not Meshav Adam. It's not a place where Hashem is revealed. It's not at all a place that is uh, appropriate or apt uh, to be a, a vessel, a conduit for godliness. But Adrab, on the contrary, it's a desert that is populated by the other nations, each of which is a different klipa. Nachash, Sarafa, Akra, Vitzimayin, Asher, Emayim. Snakes, serpents, scorpions, thirst, place where there's no water. Water is, of course, always a metaphor for terror. And therefore, making the Mishkan Dafka there, he mitzad avaydis ha'adam mitzchila va'at saif. 
it's all about man's overtures. It's all ba'ifenchel truma. It's our painstaking separation bit by bit and elevation and construction. And sometimes it's one step forward and two steps back. And so therefore, it's specifically through the Mikdash that was built in the Midbar. And therefore, all the details of the construction of the Mishkan. And therefore, it's Dafke the Mishkan that gives us the lesson and gives us the Kaychis in our time, in our Golos, in our Midbar. Our eyes do not see all of the Giluyim, all of the things that were revealed. In the Midbar that we are in right now, populated by so many different nations, cultures, ideas, isms. Sometimes it feels like there's no revelation of godliness. And it's a, a doubled and double doubled darkness. Dafka from the Mishkan, we learn that we have the Kayach to do the same thing. And that this is actually the quintessential fulfillment of Hashem's desire. And now we're in a position to understand why the tzivui to build the Bate Mikdash, which would seem to eclipse the Mishkan in terms of their greatness and their stature, why was this learnt out of the tzivui to build a Mishkan? Rashi tells us, it's, it alludes to it. But the Rebbe says, as explained before, the novelty of what happened with Hashem resting Hishchina, the Mikdash, vis-a-vis Matan comes from the fact that this was created through the work of humanity. And this is especially obvious and highlighted not in the Bate Mikdash, as the Rebbe just said, which was built in Eretz Yisrael, in Yerushalayim, on Harabais, the Mokam Asher Efchar. Really, really, the holiness came from Hashem choosing it. But here, the Mishkan highlights in a very open and clear and manifest way this what the Abishta wanted. And therefore, because it's so revealed when it comes to the Mishkan, we learn from this that this was actually what Hashem wanted most out of the Mikdash. This was the most important aspect. And through this, we can explain, the Rebbe says, a Hasidic explanation on the specificity of the Rambam's terminology 
when he speaks about the fact that every person has an obligation to be part of building the Bate Mikdash. He says, Everybody has a chiyuv to build and to assist by themselves and with their money Anoshim Vinoshim, men and women, Kimikdash Hamidbar, like in the Mishkan of the desert. Shedie Karambam Balachazu. The Rambam is specifically in this halacha specifying Likrai as Hamishkan Bashem Mikdash Hamidbar, to call the Mishkan the Mikdash Hamidbar. Hagam although in, in the earlier halacha, Mishkan, also earlier in the earlier halacha, he's mentioning the Mishkan. But he doesn't use this particular term, the, the Mikdash in the desert. With this, the, the Rambam wants to underscore that idea of every person's obligation to be part of building the base Hamikdash. Both, it seems, with their with their with their talent, with with their strength, and with their money, with their resources, is based on and is sourced in the Avoida for the Mishkan, which was in the modality of Truma. Because remember, the Yichali Truma comes before the Asuli Mikdash. Yesoidai hu hubedugmas Mikdash Hamidbar. Asheliyashab Adam Sham. And over there, the Adam Elyon, the supernal man, is not revealed. Seemingly, this is a place where there is no connection to, to the revelation of godliness. The Rambam, by inserting this term, Mikdash Hamidbar, is alluding to the fact that even when they built the base Hamidash, it should be done based on the modality of the Mishkan, which was all about the avoida of the human being. And this is the distinct lesson from the whole concept of the Mishkan and the Truma for each person in every time. From time to time, a person might feel within themselves like they're stranded in the desert. No person is in this desert. They feel that Kedusha, godliness, is not revealed within them. They don't feel aligned. They feel empty, barren, arid. And 
And then a person could, God forbid, fall into despondency and give up hope. The Rebbe says, and from this comes the lesson. That there's such a thing as building the splendorous base Hamigdash in the Midbar. The Adarab, and on the contrary, had and we only learn about the Bati Mikdash from the Mishkan because it really all starts with the Mishkan. And where was the Mishkan built? It was built in a Midbar. In other words, that the Mishkan that we built in the Midbar, that our overtures that come from a place where we feel like there are just all these snakes and scorpions surrounding us or filling our minds and there's no water and we're feeling dark and dank and, and arid. That's where the highest Mikdash was built. That's where the Mishkan was built. That's the whole Kavana. And through this, that a Jew makes a Mishkan, specifically in the Matzav of Midbar, there is a light that emerges from the darkness that is even greater than the light that would come un, unimpeded. Until you alight to a to a, a level of midbar kedusha. Usually, a midbar is a place devoid of kedusha, but the Rebbe says, but when you, notwithstanding, feeling like you're in a place of midbar, devoid of kedusha, you still build that mishkan. Then you come to a place called Midbar de Kedusha. You come to a place that is so high that it is higher even than the designation of Adam Elyon, supernal man. In other words, it's such a high place that nothing could be there. It's, it's, it's higher than high. And that is what we come to through building the Mishkan Davka from a place of Midbar. Davka from a place where we're feeling less than imposter syndrome, whatever term you want to use. And we feel like it can't be done. And the Chavah says that when we build the Mishkan from that place, we come to the Midbar Dikadusha. Now the mic is open for all of you. I'm going to open up the chat because I, I didn't have it open again. Maybe we can understand this description of Midbar as a reference to the place we feel ourselves in following Henny's passing. Does, does everybody have the or should I read, read, Vivi is saying maybe we can understand this description of Midbar as a reference to the place we feel ourselves in following Henya's passing and our efforts to move forward count all the more so. I don't think maybe, I think for sure. 
above this, Vivi wrote, I think Esther's point underscores that guilt is toxic and is an opening for the Yitzhar like no other. As to Monsieur Snefesh, I heard from a chassur who learned in Lubavitch 100 years ago that Monsieur Snefesh is Monsieur Saratzin giving our will, wanting to do it, wanting it. I think this underscores even more the value of the copper mirrors that the women brought. That's beautiful. I think there's a lot of ideas of masculine and feminine in here, no? Like the overture of Hashem is like an or sovev, which is a masculine energy. And the overture of um, the Mishkan is an or mamale, the distinction, which is a feminine energy. And then like the basic idea of a male and female anatomy that a woman has one egg and there's this like a concrete time frame, a small little window. It's incremental month after month, just one opportunity. And the masculine is an overflow of opportunity with no time frame connected to it. And but it, it has to meet up. And that ultimately, I mean, at least what I'm what I'm personally reading in the Sikha, maybe editorializing, but ultimately it's this feminine energy which is gonna bring us to the midbar to Kedusha, which I thought of, I mean, I thought about it throughout the Sikha, but especially when you had this idea of holding space, which it sounded like you thought of on the spot, I don't know. But that's- Yeah, it just the, hit me, it literally just hit me there. I think that that might be more of a feminine quality, this concept of holding space for other people and the world is trying to- you know, catch up to that is trying to, you know, employ that idea because the go-to is the masculine, but as we're getting closer to Mashiach, there's a feminine energy like pervasive. That's gorgeous. Thank you. Yeah, that, that was very nice, Sipa. I think I and I was listening to you, Rafi, you know, teaching us the Sikha. It seems to me, I, I don't know if this is correct, but it seems to me that the Mishkan is more um, the work of the Balchuva, where the Beis Hamigdash is more the Tzaddik of what the Rebbe was saying here. And um, that work of the Balchuva, according to time, is every, everybody who's not a Tzaddik, every single one of us. But the amazing thing is, is it actually has complete permanence because everything in the Beis Hamigdash was saved. Every Truma, everything that they built was saved forever. Beis HaMikdash, we don't have the Kalim of the Beis HaMikdash, but the Kalim of the Mishkan was completely safe. And it seems to me to, to be that the Mishkan work is the Mish, is the work of, of the Baal Shuvah. You know, the, the Rosh Vitaigli, the Bainani, it's the work of the Baal Shuvah, and it's forever. And that is the preparation, the permanence of, of, of the Beis HaMikdash. Can't be it. It's an unbelievable sikha. I, I want to hang it on the on my on my uh, refrigerator, <laughs> not only for a week, just go for us for life. It is so remarkable, and it would really be amazing to learn each thing that was donated, the struggle that it is, and how it gets elevated by by donating it. And it isn't everything. It's what your heart can give at the time. Right? That's what the Abishter asks for. And they gave much more than that. And the, and the first, maybe we need to look at life like that. We actually give more than we give ourselves credit for. And by the Abishter, it has permanence. I don't know. It was, it's a remarkable sikha. Yeah. Thank you so much, Rifki. Orit is saying that with all of our truma, the Mishkan could only be built when Hashem put up the walls that Moshe couldn't do by himself. We still need Siata Deshmaya. Ain't that a fact?
Yeah, we all need to marinate in the, all the different parts of the sicha for a long time. Esther, Esther, you 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 um gave us a um a home project idea. We could all just start putting the sichas as um as wall coverings in our in our homes. Could you imagine how striking it would be? Everybody that came in would be able to see the sichas that we learned and be able to see the parts that we underscore and it would be something. Not just on the refrigerator. You're right about that. Anyway, thank you. Thank you, Rifki, very much. Okay. Uh, wishing everybody a very wonderful week, a week of Harama, a week of Truma. And the Abish should have Rahmanis on us and 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 separate us out of this gullus and elevate us and and take us home already. And a good Arab Yes. And should only be Simcha Bataiv Hanir Vanigla. At the beginning, feel good.